Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Should we restart because that cough? Is it just... Yeah, yeah. You think? <clears throat> yes. <laughs> right. Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be looking at one of our show's very first, I think, semi-traditional rom-coms uh, in John M. Chu's Crazy Rich Asians. On the last episode, we said we weren't going to see it. Then we took a week off, the and it people still has demanded it. It has like a ninety-one on Rotten Tomatoes, so we went and saw it. All right, and we'll also be looking at our first uh, puppet-themed R-rated film, *The Happy Time Murders* from Brian Henson. We're gonna take a look at four trailers in our trailer park segment. Four that I don't know if you've seen yet, so stay tuned for that. And we're also gonna talk about three news stories this week. And the first one on the list: Alamo Drafthouse has forty thousand names on its season pass subscription service waitlist. Those of you out of Texas may not know Alamo Drafthouse is a very popular small independent theater chain here. Andy's a big fan. I've still never been to one. Andy, what what is this all about? Okay, so as we learn from MoviePass, the subscription thing is happening at theaters and lots of chains decided to just create their own subscription service and cut out MoviePass altogether. Right. And Alamo Drafthouse has done that and it's been incredibly popular. It's already launched uh, I think in Yonkers, New York. Um, and then they're they're signing people up to see where else they want to release it. Right. And if you haven't been to an Alamo, um, it's a different theater going experience. Uh, you can order food like at a lot of places, but there's a big emphasis on uh, customer etiquette. They will throw you out for texting, for talking, for otherwise being disruptive without a refund. Um, it, it's it's just a, a good theater going envi- environment. That's where I go a lot. People don't talk. People are well behaved. It's got good sound. And right. the food, and the food is good because a lot of t- a lot of these dine-in things it are like you're p- overpaying for mediocre food. Totally. Um, but I, I I enjoy everything that I've ever ha- had there, food-wise. Uh, all right. So first, let's talk about this subscription service. Do you know any of the specifics about the details of it? So they haven't released pricing details yet, but um, it they think it'll be anywhere between fifteen and twenty dollars. Right. And, and they have forty thousand people on the wait list. Yes. It's very convenient. You you have a bunch of people waiting to hop on something and you don't have the details of it yet. So I know it's not exactly like, what, what's the term I'm looking for here? Compulsory that like, oh, 40,000 people are buying this tomorrow. But it is telling that uh, that Alamo has such a such a devout following. It reminds me of people who are willing to wait in line for 20 minutes for like drive through Chick-fil-A. People like Alamo Drafthouse. Yeah. As that's part of the reason I haven't gone there. And I was going to talk about that in a second. But um, I know that big... Movie pa- movie pass esque subscriptions, I should say, right now. Our AMC's got one, and right. that's pretty doing pretty well, I think, for what it is. AMC yep. pa- Stubbs Pass Gold, whatever. Uh, and then there's Movie Pass. So for Alamo, do you think they'll be able to recreate like the quality of service in a repetitive subscription based model? Because this is something that knocked me off of the idea of Movie Passes. Now you have people who, frankly don't really care about theater etiquette just slide into the theater every day because they get movies on the cheap you you get people who aren't willing to pay for a quality product showing up at the movies and if they're not willing to pay for it if it feels if it feels cheap or free they may treat it that way right Right. i think the the price point is going to help that if it's i think twenty dollars is probably the sweet spot if it's then that weeds out some of the you know cheapskates that would only go to one maybe two movies a month and they're like well what's the point of a subscription service if i may or may not use it um and the other thing is as, as we've heard before is that that people go or if you're on a subscription service you're more likely to buy concessions mm-hmm. and this is where alamo will probably really make the bulk of their money and since there's no middleman like movie pass it's just themselves they stand to just earn a higher profit yeah Real quick before we pivot off on this, I, I do want to address why I haven't been to an Alamo draft house yet. Couple reasons: one, it's out of the way. I I, I don't live near one particularly, so sure. it's a hassle to drive to versus the theater that's like four minutes away. And two, uh, I I I think, and, and I haven't been to one, so maybe I'm wrong here. But to me, one of the only things that sounds as comparably worse as sitting in a theater with a bunch of people who 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 talk and are on their phones and are, 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 are a mess is sitting in a dine-in theater, right? So there's sure. food full of film snobs because I, I, <laughs> I, I, I already am weird about film snobbery conversation and like in a, in a theater full of them, like that sounds potentially hazardous for me to hear somebody down the way, oh, I heard this director, blah, blah, blah. And like, I know that's what we do on this show, but like I, I, I like to dish <laughs> it. I can't take it. That's I, exactly I feel what it like is. I feel like you get more casual 
normal film goers at Alamo. It's not just right. cinephiles. It's not all cinephiles. I'll have to go and, and, and check one out and see what it's about. Uh, the next story we have, speaking of theater chains, AMC Theater uh, is headed to a trial over alleged conspiracy uh, with Movio, Mo- Movio? Movie Studio Giants, uh, a small theater in Houston, got busted on this. And you found this story. Please fill me in. Right. Okay. So this is a little complicated and we're going to get into uh, some legal stuff. Um, but there's a small uh, cinema called Viva Cinemas. Uh, it's, just, it's a small chain that shows primarily films with Spanish subtitles or in Spanish. And they're accusing AMC of conspiring with studios such as Disney and Universal and other large studios and other chain to run them out of business. And they're accusing AMC, and basically the way they did this is saying, well, you wouldn't let these studios release big movies to them, and so that drove us out of business. Um, yeah. And there, there's just a lot of precedent behind this. Is like a studio is not, al- is not allowed to own a theater chain as per Universal v. United, uh, United States 1948 case, mm-hmm. which decided that. And it's because of antitrust laws. You know, if you're a studio and you also own a chain, you have no incentive to have other rival studios movies in your chain right so it's about you know equal competition free competition and so viva cinemas is like i said accusing amc of conspiring to run them out of business and generally the this kind of thing would get quashed in the first um i forget what it's called but it's like the first round a oh, summary judgment yeah um this got passed that and is gonna go to trial and which means that the judge thought there was some good evidence but they will have to provide even more convincing evidence to actually win all right uh just at a cursory glance because we are not legal experts uh i I guess my question is is this something you'd put past amc do you think this is outside of their league oh i I don't think anything like this is outside of any of the the studios league in Funny enough, no one has actually ever cited that case, the 1948 case, mm-hmm. successfully and won. <laughs> so there's not a whole lot of like precedent or any of that. It's very, it's very hard to win these t- types of cases. Right. But I don't doubt that. I mean, it's business. Business is cut through. Yeah, it, it, it is weird. I, t- to be fair to to Viva uh, Cinemas. In the case of a lot of Disney releases, Disney is very particular about 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 screenings. Like sure. they they there have been stories of theaters that have ten screens, like the one I used to work at in high school, uh, getting caught on. Hey, you have to run three copies of Solo, and if you don't, you get none, and you have to run them for six weeks in your biggest theaters, or you don't get any. And like Disney is really picky yeah. about that, and considering the number of properties they own. That's dangerous for small theaters, especially small foreign language theaters. Like, that's particularly heinous. And that that is part of, I'm sure, what happened here. Do I think one particular theater in Houston was like, I'm pointing at that guy across the street and I'm driving him out of business by working with studios? No. Do I think AMC is above something like that? No, <laughs> I don't, man. You remember what what AMC did when MoviePass came along? They were hard line. We have we are not dancing with this. Like we're not doing it. AMC is not afraid to get in the weeds and and take somebody else's idea. In the case of their Stubbs Gold program, man, I've seen the way AMC lines up concessions for their their Stubbs Gold whatnot. Like they are manipulative and they will <laughs> not stoop to any level. Like no nowhere is too low. So, in the case of driving a small theater chain out of business, like. I don't know if this is the way they did it. I don't even know if they did this one in particular, but I would not put it past this company. Yeah. They're ruthless. And like I said, it it would be they had to show evidence to get past submarine judgment and they did. So it's a you know, it's a small win for the little guy and we'll see what happens at trial. The last story we have on today's show, Hans Zimmer to score Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Interesting story. Uh, Hans Zimmer, of course, scored, and you're going to help me with this because you did music and I didn't. Okay. Uh, Batman v Superman. Yes. All right. He did X Men Dark Phoenix, which I guess hasn't come out yet, yeah. but he's supposed to be doing it. I mean, his big one as of like the Dark Knight trilogy. Right. Um, he also did Man of Steel. Right. He did a lot, lot of Christopher Nolan yeah. work, right? Interstellar, Dunkirk. Inception, yeah, arguably so, invented the trailer boom that everybody knows exactly. so well, and that's what I want to talk about is that he has kind of redefined what modern era cinema scoring is. You know, uh, a good example of older kind of light motif is Star Wars. You know, you have Darth Vader theme, you have the Force theme, Yoda theme. Everyone gets like a two minute theme. Mm-hmm. Um, more modern uh, scoring 
uses a technique called minimalism where it's more about um, very short, like the in the dark night, there's like a two note motif mm-hmm. and, and it's more about texture. Um, Inception is a great example. There's like, he invented the bomb. Like yeah, yeah that, totally. Like, that, that, that was him. Yeah. And that, that was a thing in trailers for a while. I think, um, nerd writer has a great video on Hans Zimmer and like yeah. the two note motif in videos and how he broke down like the original Danny Elfman Batman theme to get what we know now. And mm-hmm. really insightful. Hans Zimmer's a really cool dude. So it's, it's a little odd to see him working on a sequel. Uh, he did do Man of Steel, and I, I, I don't think any of the DC films, mo- modern ones, have particularly memorable music, but except for Man of Steel, right. it has a really also mentioned in that video, yeah, really great theme. Uh, again, you, extensive use of minimalism, and I'm looking forward to him coming back to Wonder Woman. He has he done Wonder Woman? Before? Or sorry, not coming back, right? But just yeah, going to it. Who do you have? A, top of your head, do you know who did the first one? Uh, it was Junkie XL. Oh wow, and okay, you did know. He he mixed. I forgot who. Uh, who it was with. Actually, he may have done it in conjunction with Junkie XL. Right. It had that, it, it did have a little bit of that Mad Max Fury Road kind of feel in it, that energy, that punch. Yeah. And that's exactly where Junkie XL was before. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess, uh, I guess I don't have another question about yeah. this. I'm struggling to come up with one. If I don't have one, I probably <laughs> well, shouldn't ask it. So, I mean, I, w- I would just say, I mean, to me, he has redefined modern cinema scoring. He has this huge library, modern library, probably starting around The Dark Knight, of 10, 15 films, all with incredible uh, music. I mean, even things, uh, Pirates, Curse of the Black Pearl, even going back to that. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what he comes up with in the new Wonder Woman, for sure. Uh, way shot out of left field here. Uh, what do you think about Wonder Woman 1984? Have you seen any anything about it yet? Any info? <laughs> no, I I've seen, seen much some, on I've it. I've seen a couple of stills. I, <sighs> I mean, that's the best DC property so far. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where all the eggs in are in this proverbial basket. I hate to say I'm skeptical, but just like the first one, I'm like, really? 1984? Like, that's going to be cool? What's cool about Wonder Woman in the 80s? Like, I don't know. The 80s Maybe are I'm so wrong. hot right now. Yeah, the 80s are hot right now. Yeah, that's the, that's the big thing. The bean counters are like, the 80s, that's what we got to do. But uh, yeah, some, for somehow, despite the fact that the first one completely overturned my expectations and I really enjoyed it, I'm skeptical about this one. So I guess we'll see. They certainly have a composer for it. Um, so we'll, we'll stay tuned on Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, our first film of the evening. I guess I'm taking the summary for this one. <laughs> yeah, That's yes. right. I'm taking the summary. <laughs> well, I, obviously I came completely correct. So our first film of the evening is John M. Chu's Crazy Rich Asians. What about us taking an adventure east? Like Queens? Crazy Rich Asians is based on a book that came out just a few years ago, I think, and was adapted into a screenplay. It, it is a romantic comedy. It follows uh, native New Yorker Rachel Chu to Singapore to meet her boyfriend's uh, family. Uh, that's that's R- the, the basic premise, sure. right? Uh, Rachel Chu is a professor of economics, specifically game theory, uh, at her uh, university. Where was she? Where Stanford? N- NYU, I think. NYU, that's it. And and uh, she has been dating this guy for a year, who's super handsome and has a great accent, uh, and is of course Asian. She travels to Singapore to meet his family, and along the way, kind of discovers, oh wow, this guy's actually a little bit more, a little bit more rich than I thought. And and then she gets to Singapore and realizes he's really, really, really rich. Uh, <laughs> and she has to meet his family, and she has some trouble with her mom, and like that's a whole thing. Uh, that's essentially where the main conflict of the film comes from. I, I, real quick, uh, before we get into breaking down the film. This one surpassed expectations in the way that, again, we we looked at, like, the slate of what was coming up in a couple weeks, and we were going to take a week off, and we thought, well, there's no way Crazy Rich Asians is a huge hit. Right. Because by title and by look, like, it just doesn't seem like it's going to be tremendous. It's August. It's a rom-com. It's probably not going to be great. Let's go see Stupid Happy Time Murders, (laughs) which we'll get to. And then, not only did people hear that episode and tell us, hey, you guys are wrong. You should go see this. But we kept seeing it on the internet. We kept seeing people talk about it. And we kept seeing this Rotten Tomato score. We thought, okay, let's go see it. And, and personally, genuinely surprised at how much I enjoyed <laughs> it. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I went in this movie wanting to be a skeptic, wanting wanting to come out and be like, it was dumb. Uh, and I don't feel that way. What did you think? Um, so like you said, th- this movie had a whole lot of hype. And you know, a couple of my personal friends said, hey, are you guys going to do that on, on the show? And I and was like, well, no, we skipped it. And I then, hope those personal friends listen to this show. I oh, really they, do. They definitely will. <laughs> um, so I thought it was only kind of okay. 
Um, maybe it, it was the hype. There are a lot of good things uh, about it. There's also a lot of things I have issue with. Um, my kind of overall feeling is that it's a very, very well-made, okay movie. Yeah, and this this is this is a tough spot to be in. For anybody who doesn't know, this is a tough spot to be in on a movie podcast when the whole world disagrees with you and you yeah. have to say, okay, listen, here's here's what I thought. And to be fair to Andy, there's definitely some points in this movie that I thought were sticking points. They're a little painful. Um but I want to talk about let's let's first break down what we liked about it. Yeah. All right, let's start there. First, I think the the, the biggest showstopper in this movie is the locations. Yeah. Everything seems to be done on location. If things were done in a studio, I couldn't tell. It was stunning. The production is impressive. The production is nothing short of impressive. They they shot in New York. They definitely shot in Singapore. Um, and everywhere they went in Singapore is like the list of like hot places you'd want to go in a travel guide. If you were flying to Singapore to spend a week, everywhere they shoot is somewhere you'd want to be. Like it's incredible the places they shoot. They, they use these wide angle lenses outside to get these like really cool shots of culture and it just feels comfortable like everything's well lit it's got this cool like led neon look but it's not too foreign that it feels like you're in another world or anything and it's just like a casual enough setting to fit our our characters who are of course primarily asian uh very (laughs) few of anybody else in this movie i mean it, it definitely holds true to what it is and while it seems like an abrasive approach in a title like Crazy Rich Asians, I, I really enjoyed the cast in this. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Uh, so I like most of the cast. Uh, the main character, Rachel Chu. Um, Played by Constance, Constance Wu. Yeah, yeah, Constance Wu. Uh, great performance by her. Some other very solid ones. Uh, Aquafina, who p- plays her best friend, um, who's also a rich Asian in Singapore. Also featured in Ocean's 8 earlier this summer. Yeah. Right. I, fi- I felt like she was very funny. Probably the funniest part of the film uh, for me. A uh, good performance by Michelle Yeoh, who, of course, has been knocking down film roles for 30 years. Yeah. Um, and some other minor characters. But there are a couple of performances that don't work uh, for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, the main character, Nick Young, played by Henry Golding. You didn't uh, like him? Well, it's not that I didn't like him. He was just, he was very one-dimensional. Oh, man, he charmed my pants off. <laughs> he was so charming, I couldn't believe it. Guy's it, a stud. He just, uh, he was just a little too perfect. He had, like, zero character flaws. He had zero, like, he never got upset. He never had, uh, he never had any other emotion besides, like, everything's going to be okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, hold on. I... Personally. Okay. I agree in a way that he's one-dimensional. It reminds me of Roger Ebert's description of Shelley Duvall in The Shining. <laughs> yes. When he was like, she's just a screaming dish rag. She's the woman who is supposed to scream and cry, and that is her job. Like, in a way, Henry Golding's Nick Young is similar on the opposite side of the coin. He is the perfect boyfriend. Right. He, he is brilliant and smart and funny and always on and bright and, like, has almost no problems in the world. Like he is, yeah. he yeah. never gets upset. Always has an answer to tell everyone's problems. And that's like, great. To be fair, like based on he, the the conflict, he's op. Right, that's true. Based on Rachel Chu's conflict in the movie with Nick's family, that is a bit of a problem. But he he's he's a safe place for the character. That's what right. he's supposed to be. She's supposed to feel like he can she can talk to him about anything, and she does, and and that feels good. But you're right. He doesn't have a whole lot of like actual problems. <laughs> yeah. Um, his problems feel fake. Uh, I, I I did really like um, Michelle Yeoh as as Eleanor Young, his mom. Great. I mean, like you said, she's been knocking it down for thirty years. Another great performance. She's fantastic. Like, great in this movie. Uh, really enjoyed her. I also like the sister, uh, Gemma Chan. Yes. Uh, who plays a character named Astrid? Uh, she was really cool, and, and I wish her. Frankly, I wish her her subplot had been a little bit more yeah. like involved. It was kind of. I wanted to see more of her and what she had going on. Right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, conflicts. So I I did not really like the first two-thirds of the film, but I feel the third act really kind of wraps up nicely and is probably the best part. Um, but but some of these conflicts about, you know, uh, she's not a good fit for the family. She's a, a gold digger. Like, I see what it's going for, but it doesn't – it's not pulled off particularly well. Uh, there's a scene early – early on where she's at a, a, ba- a bachelorette party and like some of the girls are really kind of catty to her and it gets kind of nasty. And some of that f- works and some of it feels really, really out of place. And it feels <laughs> yeah. like, like th- there's, there's a particular thing that, that feels like it comes out of the Godfather. Um, and there's a, a lot of that kind of melodrama, which to me, it just took me out of it. It made it feel not, not authentic. 
Yeah, okay. Well, I did like that a lot of the characters have problems because that's very real, true to life. You know, everybody's got their own issues to deal with. So while there can be a central conflict that ties the film together, like all of these characters have issues. All of them have yeah. problems. And like, except for Henry Gold. <laughs> He's got like one problem, but it's not even really a problem. It's like a fake problem. Um, and that felt good. Like that helps these characters feel vibrant and alive. But at the same time, like it makes it difficult to kind of tie everything together. And while I enjoyed the first two acts, I felt the third act kind of stumbled in a weird way. <laughs> okay, so it's funny okay. that we feel the opposite way about that. Christine, uh, who went and saw this with me, had a great line for this movie. She said, this movie is just like a modern spin on The Princess Diaries. Right. It's the same kind of thing. It's it's a Cinderella story. In fact, at one point towards the end, in a the most tongue-in-cheek line possible in the whole movie, uh, at one point, uh, one character says to, to Rachel Chu, hey, Cinderella, did you forget your shoes? And I was like, wow, that was... As, yeah. as as on the nose as you could possibly be. Like, they know what it is, and they know what it's about, and, and, and I appreciate that. Uh, the movie isn't... But it doesn't play it too straight, I guess. Like, it feels it feels like it can laugh at itself. Like, it knows right. it's a movie called Crazy Rich Asians. Like, they know what they're about, and, and that, that helps give it a sense of identity and help it kind of stand out from a lot of other rom-coms that take themselves, frankly, too seriously. I, I think of uh, Sandra Bullock's The Proposal. That, right. That, that movie was a little too, yeah. So, as a romantic comedy, I felt like it was not very comedic and not very romantic. Like... There were a lot, a lot of good laughs, but there were a lot of laughs that did not really land. A lot of the yeah. humor, I, I expected to, to see more humor based on like wealth and more, like when they're at Aquafina's house, her her house is like made out of gold essentially, and there's a lot of good gags there, and I kind of expected more of that to them to really play up like the wealth aspect, and it just, uh, I don't know, it just wasn't there. And then the other part, like the romantic part, I never really buy into the relationship between the main characters, between Constance Wu. It's like, Ooh. she's great. Um, but Nick Young, Young, like their their conflicts seem, I don't know, just a little unbelievable. They would either be far more serious or not as serious as they're trying to make them. And and also, the su- the sub there's a subplot involving uh, some possible infidelity. And it was just very cliche and, and by the numbers, and I, I just didn't really buy it. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the comedy. <laughs> I want to I get to everything <laughs> sorry, you said. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I want to I make sure we give it's this movie its due diligence. Yeah. The comedy and the romance. A little column A, a little column B. You're, I mean, every every you throw 10 jokes at a wall, a few are going to fall flat. I get that. And while I wasn't really rolling in the seat, like there were people in the theater with me getting a good laugh. Like yeah. that really was a thing. So I guess to each their own. Um, it definitely takes... A good swing at it, though. There's there's a lot of jokes in this movie. They're not. Yeah. I mean, they're not all winners. They're not all losers, though. And I felt yeah. okay about it. Um, as far as the the romance goes, I, I don't want to say cliche is the name of the game, but like you're right. Like that's how these movies go. Like, there is a chase in an airport. <laughs> there which, is, which, a, is uh, which is the ultimate very rom- brief chase in an airport. Yes, it's true. And there were definitely scenes uh, that I felt like, you know, roll my eyes, like, of course, we're going to hit on these same beats. But in a way, that's what a rom-com is, right? Like, it, it's going to be safe. It's going to be, you're going to kind of expect it. And and I do, I, for a second, to talk about that infidelity thing, I genuinely was expecting a twist. I was oh, like, right. surely it's not going to be exactly as cliche as it's presented, <laughs> and it is to a T. Right. Uh, it comes from a different direction, so it's, it's not I shouldn't say exactly what you expect, but I mean I kept I kept waiting like, "Oh no, this is this is going to go a different way. This isn't the way they're presenting it." Like, nope, it's exactly the way they're presenting it on screen. Right. So for me doing a movie podcast, yes, I expect a little bit more, but that's not to say it was necessarily boring like for what it's worth like i thought the movie was visually striking uh the characters were really engaging i thought the writing was pretty snappy i liked it Mm -hmm. so i i I was i wanted to point out one thing uh that i thought was it was really nice at the beginning uh someone takes a picture of the couple and there's this scene of it kind of going viral and people sending it to each other and all these little uh, kind of pop-ups uh, come on the screen where mm-hmm. it's like a bubble and text and social media and that was a really cool kind of unique <laughs> sequence and that just like really stuck out to me as like a cool it's funny because cool I, I wanted to talk about that too um i wasn't as into that i, 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 I know we're just like uh, two, two sides of the coin here i liked it I, I liked the idea of it but it felt a little it felt a little clumsy in in the editing and that's something that i did want to mention in this movie there are some editing choices in here that i felt like were odd some cuts or felt like at one point i talked to you about this and it's 
towards the end of the film, so I don't want to give it away, but there's definitely a bit towards the end that I thought like was a mistake in editing. It just felt weird, and I was like, I feel like there's a scene here that you guys cut for time or something, because it's a two-hour film. There's a lot. Right. But in the case of that scene you were talking about where we have characters using social media and texting each other and indicating like a passage of information over time, uh, I, I liked the point of it. I didn't like the way it was put together. They use a lot of like pastel colors and like have some color like fly across screen. And the the execution wasn't great, but the reason for it was good. Right. So I guess I liked it. Yeah, I just didn't like the way it was all put together. Um, there's a great, I forget, it was like lessons from the screenplay or somebody that put together a great analysis of uh, social media in film or like right. text messages on film and whether that be like in an eighth grade where you just have somebody looking at their phone and then cut to the phone or you use uh, pop-ups pop-ups to have like a text message show up on screen um, like in uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo by David Fincher uh, starring Daniel Craig um, like either way uh, it, it's tough to do and this movie did a good job of it I, I guess I just expected it more. They only do it yeah, that one bit yeah, and it doesn't yeah, come up again. Here. So it was a little odd, but I, for what it's worth, like they probably could have written around that somehow from the book. And I appreciate that they were willing to kind of lean into it. Yeah. So it wasn't bad. Um, so this movie reminded me a lot of the big sick um, because that film also, you know, touches on <laughs> themes of, of yeah. like, like family relationships, tradition, you know, m- generational differences. Uh, and I felt like, Crazy Rich Asians attempted to also address these same issues. It just didn't do it as well or as cohesively as something like The Big Sick did, which is also very funny. Yeah, and I do think it's it's worth <laughs> having a very brief conversation about the title. Because the yes. title is very in your face. It's, it's I mean, it is exactly Crazy Rich Asians. And to be fair, by the time we hit credits in the movie, like, I got it. I was like, I get why it's called this. I get why the book's called this. Um, the movie wears it like a badge of honor and it should like it's exactly the way you want to go um, and, and they really lean into it uh, it's it, it's good and, and it's not particularly insulting to anybody's culture I think I don't think it's pointing at anybody and saying we're better than you I don't think it's about that at all um, I also think it's worth noting that in Germany I don't know if you heard this yes the ahead. movie is just called crazy rich they're right. cutting the Asian line so I don't know what that means. That's, that's for a German movie podcast to talk about. But I, the title is a little abrasive to some people. And, right. And there's folks out there who don't believe that. And I, that's fine. Just like it's worth noting, I guess, if, if you heard the title and, and you thought that doesn't sound like a movie for me, you might be surprised. Right. Because I certainly was. It's also worth noting that this is, I guess, the first Asian-American film since the Joy Luck Club, which is over 25 years ago or about 25 years ago, to have a kind of all-Asian cast. And so that's another been another kind of selling point or a big deal of, about this movie. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. I I, um, I guess it, 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 it bums me out that, like, that's news that, like, oh, yeah, this is the first one of these in 25 years or something. Like, that sucks because this movie is really good. And, like, if it, if... It, this shouldn't be a problem, I guess. I guess that's all I have to say in, in, in fewer words. Like, that's a bummer. <laughs> um, but I'm glad this movie exists, and I hope they make more movies uh, I think of this, this quality, and I hope we get more representation Yeah, definitely. in, in, the, in the industry. I was just going to mention that I, I think the sequel has already been greenlit. Right. Yeah, I saw something about that. Yeah, which I was, I was very quick to tweet about, and I'm going to repeat it here because I think I'm brilliant on Twitter. Uh, if you skip the whole now, there are two plot lines you want to avoid in a rom-com sequel. All right. One, now they're having a baby. Skip it. <laughs> Nobody cares. Do not get a child actor. Don't. Like, we, we don't want to do that. And two, now he has to meet her family. No, don't do that. Like, don't go. Now, now he has to go meet her poor. No, that's stupid. Don't do that. Just pick up right where this one left off. All right. I'd say keep it in Singapore if you could swing it. Uh, and you got yourself a sequel. Really. Um, anything outside of that. If you're trying to flip the script, don't. Like, it doesn't work. Nobody likes it. It's ham-fisted, and it's clumsy. Like, this is based on a book. It does a great job of being a movie. Um, yeah. So, I guess, at the end of the day, Andy, would you recommend Crazy Rich Asians? Yeah, o- overall, I-, I would. You know, I did. There are some issues I had with it. But, overall, it was enjoyable. It was, you know, it had a lot of, a lot of good laughs. Not all of them land, uh, but it was a good time. You know, it was good use of two hours. I never checked my watch. I didn't feel bored. I didn't feel too slow. It was a good time. So yeah, I would overall recommend it. I would recommend it as well. I, I was I was 
genuine. Well, I don't want to say genuinely surprised, but I, I mean, I was surprised. Like I, I come from a from a house uh, where I had a mom and a sister and a dad, of course. And my mom and sister watched rom coms, and so I've seen a fair number of rom coms in my day. At least I like to think so. And like this one, it, it didn't feel too generic to me. It, it hit along a lot of the same beats, but from a different approach. And it did it in a different country, and it did it in a way that was bombastic and spectacular, and I really enjoyed. And while the characters didn't do a very good job of staying humble, uh, the plotline did. And, and at the end of the day, it charmed me in a way that not a lot of rom-coms have. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think it's safe to say uh, dudes can enjoy it. Uh, I'd, I'd say <laughs> yeah. take your take your take your so to go see this movie. You won't be disappointed. Do you have a go-to rom-com or something that you consider like kind of above the rest? I have a rom-com that I've never has like it's not good, and and nobody <laughs> thinks I think it's good. It's good, but one that I've always really enjoyed is going to be uh, Julia Roberts. That's good start. Okay. Love some Julia Roberts. It's called My Best Friend's Wedding. Right. I always thought that movie was cool. I don't know. Classic. It's got a it's got a cool scene in there with a with an Aretha Franklin cover in a uh, in, in a restaurant. Always enjoyed it. I think she has a I I want, I want to say her friend is gay in it. So she's got mm-hmm. a gay friend kind of helping her out. And this isn't the wedding planner. Different movie, same Julia Roberts. Uh yeah, her friend is getting her her guy friend is getting married to some other chick and she finds out and and it's like, "Well, what are we going to do now?" And so the gay friend comes along and says, "Well, I'll be like a beard and you be dating and he'll be jealous." It's very simple, very vain, <laughs> but for some reason, that one always sticks in my head. I don't know. My best friend's wedding. What, what do you got? Uh, for me, it's uh, Love Actually. Maybe that's cliche. Is Christine that cliche? loves that movie. <laughs> and it's good. It's fine. All right. It's, it's very pre-9-11 because that yeah. airport scene at the end, and we watch it every Christmas, and I'm, I'm glad she likes it, and I like it because she likes it. Um, I, I'm Man, I get stuck on the on the rom-com montage movies. Uh, I, they rub me the wrong way every time because it just feels like, well, let's take what couldn't be three good rom-com movies and just jam the plot lines together and mm-hmm. inter- cut them together. So it's like we just made three short films and here we go. Now we got a movie and like they always get a good cast, like they always do. They always they always get good people. Um, but I, I I I'm because of that approach, I'm like hypercritical of them. I'm like, sure. well, this plot line sucks and that's that one's not that good and like. But Love Actually is pretty solid all the way around. Even the creepy Andrew Lincoln. Uh, so, yeah. Love Actually is not so bad. Anyway, if you liked Crazy Rich Asians, if you didn't like Crazy Rich Asians, even better, uh, email <laughs> us at mailoffscriptfilmreview.com. Let us know what you think. And if you got a good rom-com, uh, hit me up because I need something better than my best friend's wedding. Next up, my favorite segment to edit for the whole show ever, uh, The Trailer Park. <laughs> First trailer you've agreed to take. We're doing four this week. And, right. and I'm pleased with these because, like, so often when we do the trailer park, I find, like, I just kind of, I don't want to say I roll my eyes at, our, at my own segment. That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I'll see a trailer somewhere and think, ooh, we should talk about that on the show. And then we'll get together to do the trailer park, and you f- you throw out trailers. And I haven't seen three out of four of them. It feels like I'm in a good place. I like that because <laughs> it keeps me on my toes, and it keeps me seeing things that I haven't seen yet. And, and in a podcast where we could so easily talk about things everybody else talks about, Crazy Rich Asians, to name one. Uh, I like that we bring something new to the table. Yeah. These are these are trailers I, I don't really know a lot about. And the first one and the third one you've agreed to take. I'll take two and four. Please kick it off. Uh, King Lear. Better thou hadst not been born than not to have pleased me better. Uh, so this is a reimagining of King Lear uh, by Richard Eyre, who's uh, done a lot of TV. Um, I'm a big Shakespeare fan. Uh I'm trying to think of the one. Macbeth from a couple of years with with Michael Fassbender was excellent. Uh, kind of last big uh, Shakespeare thing that was out. Uh, this stunning cast: Anthony Hopkins plays the titular character, along uh, with Jim Broadbent, Emily Watson, Emma Thompson, Florence Pugh. Uh, this has actually already come out on like BBC Four, and it's going to be coming to Amazon Prime, I think, at the en- end of September. Uh, but it's a modern retelling, uh, which sometimes I don't really know how to feel a lot of times, but We'll kind of we'll kind of see how it goes. I'm not familiar with King Lear, so I want to be sure that I read it before I watch it, so I can understand it a little bit better. Um, but that's the first trailer. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Love Actually and Emma Thompson and a heartbreaking <laughs> scene at the end of that film, great work by her. Uh, Hopkins is definitely a Shakespeare man. Oh yeah, he's done some Shakespeare in his day. Yeah. Titus. So this this is not uh, yeah not 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 to get past him. And I'm a Shakespeare fan myself. I took a class in college. 
a big fan of Mac- Macbeth. That was the year I really figured that. Took a college class for me to figure out Macbeth. But uh, and as far as the Michael Fassbender one goes, man, I tried to watch that once. I got like twenty minutes in. And I got I got spooked. I backed out. <laughs> it <was laughs> it's so much. dark. It oh is. my god. Yeah. Like they that whoever who who adapted that. Who was that that made that adapt? Oh, adaptation? I can't remember. Okay, well, if you don't mind, yeah, do a little Googling while I'm spinning my wheels here. Um, super dark adaptation. And I, 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 Macbeth is already a real dark story for, for po- people who don't know it particularly well. And that one, like, leans into it so hard. Um, and it was really intriguing. I'm, man, I'm a stickler for modern interpretations of Shakespeare. It's got to be good because it's yeah, so yeah. easy to get wrong. And when you say, oh, this already came out on the BBC and now it's going to Amazon, well, I hope it did well for, for being out on the BBC. I mean, I would. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was just Justin Kurzweil, which gotcha. I, um, I still struggle to, to find it. So the only thing I'm worried about is that uh, about five years ago, they did an adapta- adaptation of Coriolanus uh, with Ralph. Oh, gosh. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Jessica Chastain w- was in it. Fines? Uh, yes. Ralph Fines. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so it was also a modern retelling, and it didn't really work because it was it was trying to be an action movie, and it was like too much Shakespeare to be an action movie, and too much action to be Shakespeare. Right. Um, so it didn't really it kind of missed the mark, and so that's the only thing I'm worried about with this one being a modern retelling is it's really easy to miss kind of the point of Shakespeare. Yeah, I felt that way about a Shakespeare film that has been uh, or Shakespeare adaptation that's been lauded as as great. Uh, and it, I'm sure it is, but I never finished it, was the Romeo plus Juliet. Right. Yeah. The first time, it's like three minutes in that movie, there's a crash zoom on a pistol. I was like, I'm out. I, I don't care. Like, <laughs> it's so hyper-stylized. Yeah, it's so hyper-stylized. And I get that's what they're going for. But if you're going to have like hyper-stylized approach, just redo the redo the dialogue. Why why bother sticking with Shakespeare? Sure. Like, it's just distracting. That was me anyway. The I, opening scene of that is, is really good. But then after that, there's a whole lot of Leonardo DiCaprio just kind of screaming in the rain. Yeah, like and I it, like it just seemed like like I, DiCaprio's great. He's got an Oscar now, but like at the time, I'm like it just feels like he's just saying saying the lines. Like he didn't really get yeah. it. I don't know, but uh, I'm sure Hopkins won't have that problem or the rest of the cast. Yeah, it's it's really yeah. it's really well put together. But I don't I don't know the story of King Lear, and I'm one of the I'm like you. I'm like I have to I'll have to read it or consume it at some point. Yeah, to get the adaptation again, so easy to get an adaptation wrong. And what is this one set? Do we know? No, no, that's... Like, I, I, mean, I can't I tell if it's World War II or modern. Yeah, I, they're, they're wearing modern military fatigues, but... And I think I see a gun somewhere, so here's it's hoping, modern. Here's hoping it's not some, like, weird alternate history timeline, because then it's even worse. Yeah. Like, then you're really getting lost in the weeds on Shakespeare. That's part of what was so good about the Macbeth adaptation from a couple of years ago, is that it's... In, it's surprisingly in the time place that it takes place in the book. Yeah, and I know everybody, oh, well, Shakespeare can be ad- adapted. Yeah, I agree, but I think it's best represented in the time it's supposed to be. Like, that's that's when it seems to work the best. Like, when you start to change things and you start to change characters and settings and place and objects, yeah, like, you start to lose the thread a little bit, even if the dialogue sticks. Like, like that's just me anyway. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, well, I'm, things maybe like, I'm not. Well, things like phones and guns and the internet ruin a lot of the plot points. Right. It Yeah. Big time. The next trailer we have, God, we spent way too long on that, <laughs> is a uh, another, another period piece uh, coming to Netflix called Outlaw King. Revenge. This movie is starring Chris Pine and Aaron Taylor Johnson, telling the story of Robert the Bruce. Got that? I was gonna say Robert the Brown. Uh, out in Scotland, uh, a man who, as described in the trailer description, uh, was a soldier that became a king that became an outlaw, and that's all I know about Robert the Bruce. <laughs> almost, so. almost sounds like uh, Robin Hood. Yeah. Um. So in Braveheart, uh, this character is mentioned in there, and he, after William Wallace is executed, he at the end of Braveheart, he takes up like the sword, or he becomes the leader yeah. of like the Scottish army. Um. So it's worthy to note. So David McKenzie, who directed this, also directed Hell or High Water uh, right. from a couple of years ago, which I absolutely loved. Also I, starring Chris Pine. Right. Yeah. Modern classic neo western, excellent film, and so I'm I'm excited to see this. This is coming out on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be a Netflix release. 
Which, I hate to say makes sense, but looking at it, I'm like, I don't know who would go see this in theaters. Like, you, you throw it on Netflix, I think you got something. It's always a safe bet, but it looks better than a lot of the stuff Netflix has been putting out. It's true. Yeah, I'm certainly interested. I mean, I we'll probably do it on this show, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably, I don't know about King Lear. That might be a little heavy for, for the whole yeah. bold cinema. But Outlaw King, worth the time, I think. And I'm intrigued to see Aaron Taylor Johnson. I'm, I'm not a, really an Aaron Taylor Johnson fan, so hopefully this turns me around. Yeah, I last saw him in uh, Nocturnal Animals. Right, he was in that. Yeah, you're totally right. He's like the worst character in the world. I last saw him in <sighs> Shanghai Nights as a young Charlie Chaplin. Wow. Keep an eye out for very early Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah, with a horrible accent. This one's not much better. You know, I get scared anytime I watch a mo- watch a trailer for a movie that's like a period piece or in a place with an actor who I know isn't from that place. Right. Doing an accent. And you don't get a lot of it in the trailer. You don't You don't get a lot of Chris Pine Scottish in this trailer. And that freaks me out because I'm like, what are you hiding? What is it, bad? Does he have bad accents? Is that, is that what you guys are trying to trying to mask there by not showing him in the trailer? But I'm a skeptic. Anyway, uh, the third trailer we have. Uh, Andy, please. Uh, this is called Hold the Dark. Dear Mr. Core. Uh, so this is a new... Um kind of mystery detective thriller um, starring Jeffrey Wright from Westworld uh, takes place out in what looks like the Alaskan wilderness. Uh, a boy has gone missing. Um, that's kind of the setup. And then there's like really creepy townsfolk. Um, this was directed by Jeremy Sol- Solonier, who uh, did Blue Ruin and Green Room. Neither of which I, I haven't seen either of those, but I've heard really great things. Oh about man, both Green Room's great. Yeah, you should totally watch that. Um, so... You know, it's an Alaskan wilderness kind of mystery, murder mystery. He's trying to solve the case, trying to find this kid. Um, it looks really good to me. I'm really kind of thrilled to see this. This is, again, another Netflix uh, special coming out. In th- and this was in going to be released in theaters as well as yeah. on Netflix. So that's an interesting thing, too. I saw the trailer for this kind of come and go. Like, I saw, I saw it come up on Reddit. And it was like, oh, I'll watch that later. And then just never did and forgot about it. And I hate to say that feels like an allegory for the movie. But a little bit. Like, I watched the trailer and I was like, that looks pretty cool, I guess. I'd love to see more. It's not Jeffrey. His name's not Jeffrey Wright. It is Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. I'm thinking of Jeffrey Rush. I'd love to see more Jeffrey Wright. Like, yeah. Because he, he was fantastic in Westworld. I, I hadn't seen much of him before then. And this looks like a really good opportunity for him to flex a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it looks a little bit like a uh, out in the middle of nowhere and it's really cold and it seems like somebody got murdered this way, but it turns out they got murdered this way. Right. That's the big twist movie. Remind, I haven't seen it. It reminds me a little bit of Wind River. Yeah. Um, probably not quite as serious as that that film or like right. the themes of that film. Uh, also stars uh, Riley Keough, who is just kind of in everything these days. Love her. Isn't she in some way related to Elvis Presley? Like I do not know. Or something? I don't know. I feel <laughs> I, like I read that somewhere. Uh, either way, uh, again, Netflix, safe bet. I will probably watch it because yeah. it's on Netflix. Like, it's a good move. Um, so for what it's worth, we'll probably do it on this show. That's right. So stay tuned. For, uh, the, what, the long dark? Hold the dark? Hold the dark. Hold the dark. What is the long dark? I can't uh, the, keep track this week. The long right. night is probably my where you're god. Confused. Yes, uh, the last movie we have, Andy. I'm shocked you let me take the summary for this. A24's <laughs> uh, Slice. I'm going to tell you a story about a ghost, a werewolf, and a pretty shitty pizza place. Uh, Slice is a movie. What is what is? The trailer is a little unclear. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll hit you with the IMDb description sure. here because I think this is the best way to go. When a pizza delivery driver is murdered on the job, the city searches for someone to blame. Ghosts, drug dealers, or perhaps a disgraced werewolf. That's about all I got. I know yeah. it's about a pizza delivery driver <laughs> at a specific uh, pizza place owned by Paul Shear of all people. At one point in the trailer, it's mentioned that his pizza his pizza parlor is a is sitting on top of a gateway to hell. Which implies some uh, some some supernatural neo something or other. neon lit shenanigans, uh, supernatural something or other. I know the trailer features Tran- Chance the Rapper at the very end and Zazie Beetz as the main character, who was Domino in Deadpool two. Fantastic right. performance by her, by the way. Um, why are we so interested in this trailer? So we've been on this run that pretty much anything a24 does i'm gonna go see yep but we're we're testing that <laughs> that with this because this movie looks kind of ridiculous but it could i don't know it could be something something really cool it also stars uh joe keery uh who plays 
Steve Harrington in Stranger Things. The best character in Stranger Things. Who looks Things. exactly like Steve Harrington in Stranger yes. Things. Yeah. In, in this looks movie exactly too. like Steve Harrington. Um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of, it looks quirky. It's all over the place. It's got supernatural stuff, zombies, werewolf, vampires, who knows? Yep. And it's, again, a comedy by A24. You're right. A24 has had a compelling track record. They really have. Like, it's kind of stunning, the stuff they put out. Um, and this one seems odd, but at the same time, like I know A24 for their stylistic approach. I know A24 for their snappy, typically snappy scripts. Um, movies are really well put together. I don't know. Yeah, I was a skeptic about Hereditary. That was A24, right? Yep. Here we are. Like I, I, this one might be awesome. So I hope. I hope anyway. I hope it's yeah. great. I hope it's. I hope the, the script is a little snappier than it seems in the trailer. It seems a little kind of like roll your eyes, but. I think the performances will be good. I like the look of it so far. Uh, I'm, I'm skeptically optimistic. Yeah. Optimistically skeptical. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'll, pro- I'll probably check it out. Yeah. You'll, you'll hear more about that when it comes. The last movie we have. Shocked you took, you took the summary for this one. Uh, please take it away. The Happy Time Murders. Okay, so this is a new film by Brian Henson, who is the son of the famous uh, Jim Henson. And to kind of summarize it, it's a neo-noir murder mystery slash shock comedy with puppets and humans. It's basically an R-rated Muppet movie. Um, I'm not even going to get into the plot. It's It's a murder mystery. That's kind of all you need to know. Um, so I went into this with very, very low expectations. Um, those expectations were mostly met. Uh, this is a pretty bad movie, but there are some neat ideas. There are some positive things, and we can get to, get to that in a second. Uh, Zach, what do you think? Okay, can I please give a byline of the plot? Like we got to go talk ahead, about go it ahead, for go a second. Ahead, yes, go ahead. Uh, when the puppet cast of an '80s children television show begins to get murdered one by one, a disgraced LAPD detective turned private eye puppet takes on the case. All right, that's it. You've got you've <laughs> a disgraced detective who's now a private eye, running his own business, and other puppets from this really pop, most popular ever in the universe of this film, '80s television show called The Happy Time Gang, uh, starts getting picked off one by one. He's on the case. He gets partnered up with his old partner from the from the the force, uh, who is Melissa McCarthy. That's it. We we have our, our bumbling duo, right? Our our, our, our buddy cop buddy film, cops, yeah. yes. Uh, trying to figure out why puppets are getting iced. That's the setup for the Happy Time Murders. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that but that was a poor intro. I did. First, no, it's fine. First, I just yeah, we got to talk about it. Like that's the whole reason we watched it. We came this far for God's sake. Let's let's tell people what it's about. Uh, this movie is terrible. It's terrible. (laughs) The most redeeming thing about it, and and I want to talk more about this in a minute, uh, pretty okay practical effects. Because we're working with the Henson crew, the people who work with Muppets. Like a lot of, not not just the puppeteering, but also just a lot of like genuinely practical effects. Puppets doing wacky things. um, Puppets doing offensive things. uh, And mostly the murders of puppets. Yeah. Pretty good. For some reason, whoever rigged up the head explosions on the puppets in this movie is great. And there's one scene where a puppet gets torn apart like something out of the thing. Like he's got, I think he's got dogs tugging on yeah. each of his limbs and his head. <laughs> That's pretty good. Like the way this puppet is screaming and getting torn apart slowly is. And it is, is all like cotton, you know. It's yes, not like, like again, guts. it's all practical. Like they're, they're, they they do CGI for the for like the wide shots. If you see a puppet walking, the legs are CGI, which is super lame. But because yeah. to me, frankly, I was hoping for like Muppet Christmas Carol movie. I, I genuinely love uh, by Brian Henson. Um, they just have, you know, they, they would just have the puppets moving and they'd have the legs just dangling down. And like, that's kind of what I wanted. Instead, they yeah. actually tried to CGI and make it look legit and it looks terrible. Um, but some of the practical effects in this movie are pretty good. Mm-hmm. That is all the good I have to say about it. <laughs> that is that is it. That is as good as it gets. Okay, so it's billed as a, you know, a shot comedy. And I feel felt like the comedic elements are what really did not work. I was actually much more interested in the murder mystery aspect of it, like the detective side of it. If they would have just focused on that, it probably would have been a better movie. The jokes are not funny. They're not very, they try to be super crass, but I mean, we're the internet generation. It takes a lot to shock me. Mm -hmm. And so it was, uh, you know, I just kind of rolled my eyes at, at most of it. And the other thing is it's also not crass enough. Like if it was going for crass, it needed to do that 
kind of throughout the whole film. And there's only kind of a couple of scenes where that happens. So the shock humor isn't really that shocking. One of the best scenes, or, or the, the one that's in the trailer, there's like two scenes like that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that, that definitely doesn't work for me. Uh, surprisingly, the chemistry between Melissa McCarthy and the main puppet detective, actually, I like that. I like oh, that. Really? I, I thought they were oh, like, wow. oh, I thought they were like, okay. I, man, I, I, I thought Melissa McCarthy was like arguably more wooden than the puppets. Like <laughs> just really, I mean, I mean, first off your main cast, just to roll through like the live action ones, you've got Melissa McCarthy, Elizabeth Banks in a role that I'm like, what? How, must what be hard happened? Up. Yeah, yeah. It must be, dude. Everybody in this movie must be hard up. Maya Rudolph, who I genuinely think probably wanted to be in this movie, like because yeah. she seemed like she was actually kind of going for something, being this uh, kind of goofball secretary. Uh, Leslie David Baker, who played uh, Stanley on The Office, mm-hmm. playing essentially Stanley from The Office. Like right. he, I, he's typecast for a reason. He is who he says he is. Joel McHale, who again must be hard up, just sad. I felt bad seeing Joel McHale in this movie. I was like, God, Joel, come on, what are you doing? Uh, And that's about it. Also, uh, one other thing, playing playing a thug in an early flashback scene, Mitch Silpa, who, if you don't know his name, do not. Did you ever see uh, the the David Blaine magic trick videos? That's him. That's David Blaine. Oh wow, that's that guy. Yeah, he, he's, okay. he's a, he's a uh, gay aspiring actor in California. He's been in a couple of shorts I've seen. So, yeah, it's kind of a fun. I was like, oh, hey, David Blaine, check him out. Yeah, working hard. Uh, other than that, that's pretty much it. And, like, it shows. There's, there's a reason <laughs> they only got, like, six decent, even remotely decent actors for this movie. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the world building in this is terrible. Yeah. Because they, they, got, they got puppets, sure. But anytime it cuts to a wide shot on like a city street, you see one or two puppets in the foreground, and then in the background, all people. Yeah. Nothing, nothing in the world is adapted for puppets. It's it, it like clearly it's like you you guys shot this almost exclusively on a soundstage. Anything in a, in, in a room is on a sta- is on a set. Any anything uh, in a car is on a set. Lots of green screen out windows. Lots of green screen out windows. Uh, and anytime you shot outside, you'd have one or two puppets in the foreground. That's it. The, yeah. the, the, you didn't even pay extras for the background stuff. So this movie reminded me a lot of Bright, actually, the Will Smith fantasy okay. action movie, because it tries to kind of tackle some issues about like bigotry and prejudice. You know, in Bright, it was like the orcs and the were like a subhuman class, and yeah. here it's the puppets. And so they actually try to kind of take on some serious issues. And then I was like, this is like the wrong movie to try to do this. Like when you're doing a super crass R rated comedy, it just, it didn't work, but it reminded me a lot of bride because that kind of did the same thing. Didn't quite work in that movie either, but I saw parallels similarities. Yeah. Like they kind of picked that up at the beginning. That's definitely part of it. And then along the way, you just kind of forget because they never did anything with that. Like they never addressed like really, um, puppet racism is a rampant problem and they never did anything with it. They, they were, yeah. they were never like, well, we're going to solve this or here's a solution or, you know, they never had a speech at the end where it was like, Hey, everybody come together and we're all, we're all, we're all united. Never happened. Never mm-hmm. once. Like it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. So that felt really, really odd. It was just kind of a, kind of a misdirection, I guess. It, like, I, I don't, I don't, it didn't even need to be in the movie. And I think they had to put it in the movie because it's only like 89 minutes. It's like barely a full, yeah. full feature. So that was a real problem is that it, it's only 90 minutes long and it felt like forever. Yep. Like oh it, I felt God. so long. Yep. It felt. Yeah. I checked my watch three times in a 90 minute movie. Like <laughs> you, you should barely ever check your watch. And it just felt like it dragged. Scene, it, scenes went on too long. It should yeah. have been edited tighter. They didn't have 90 minutes worth of movie here and they made it feel like it. Did. Yeah. It was very cliche. Like uh, all the cop stuff is very by the numbers. Yep. You know, it's like, oh, partner's got a fight, tragic backstory, got to visit a strip club, which was like the least convincing strip club ever. It was like one room. <laughs> oh, it was. That's what I mean by being a set. It was clearly like a, st- a soundstage. Yeah. And it wasn't that big. And they were like, here, let's just put a pole on this thing and round off this. That'll be fine. We'll shoot it tight. Like, we'll shoot. We'll shoot the puppets up close. We'll shoot this character up close. You won't be able to see the room like t- horrible. It was not an. It looked terrible. It did not. Yeah, look like if you're going for you know basically an R, hard R-rated puppet Muppet movie, there weren't enough Muppets in it. There weren't enough. Yeah. Like again, like you said, world building to be convinced that this is like a society with where man and puppet coexist. Yep. Yeah. Uh, very early in the film, there there's a sex shop featured. Um, not only again did you shoot that 
on a set like that was just a, I mean, it was probably the same room he did the strip club in like and you just swapped out a, a you know moved out a desk or something but yeah like it, it was small there were there were three puppets and i was like this is not a real thing like i'm not right. and i'm not at all convinced not in a this store. is a real place yeah like this doesn't this isn't real and for anybody out there it's like well they had to they had to you know move the puppets around well sure but like look at i mean brian henson did labyrinth for god's sake brian henson did a muppet christmas carol a muppet treasure island he directed michael Caine and tim curry in fantastic roles like there's a way to do of, it yeah. yeah and you just didn't i don't know if you didn't have the budget or what but it just didn't happen that's what it felt like to me it, it felt like he just barely got this financed oh, and like yeah. had to just do make do with what he had. Like Super Troopers too had a bigger budget than this, and yeah. I know they were kickstarted. But that being said, they were kickstarted. Like, come on, there's no reason you couldn't make this work. He didn't have. I mean, they had a, a decent cast, but they didn't really have a script to run with. Yeah, the script was pretty light. I, I'll be fair. I got a couple laughs out of a couple lines, and I don't. I don't remember any in particular. But there's a couple insults, like the two buddy cop characters, Melissa McCarthy and Phil Phillips. I think is the name yeah. of the puppet throw at each other uh they a couple decent lines but for the most part forgettable i don't i don't even remember I what think they were the funniest part to me and I, I did laugh out loud and i can't remember at what but there's a scene where my rudolph and melissa mccarthy are kind of together and they're trying to like break into this house um, oh yeah there's a lot of really funny stuff that happens there and i think that's because you have two really good comedians you know working together that was kind of the only good <sighs> Uh, as far as laughs the other part that i actually laughed a lot of was at the end of the movie in the post credits just because they show a lot of the behind the scenes and a lot of these people having to do like these ridiculous things with puppets and they're like cracking up because of what they're having to do that was more funny than anything in the movie i agree but one of the best parts of the movie again towards the practical effects is the end when they show how a lot of the stuff was done they show a lot of like puppet puppeteers in like green screen outfits and like how they're actually puppeteering these things but that's intercut with footage of outtakes which is okay um but those are just the jokes that didn't make the final cut so why would they be any funnier and uh that's intercut with a, a puppet dance sequence because they didn't have enough footage to do anything with yeah. it so it's like well we got to put something in here which so that was weird gotta stretch uh, this bad boy out speaking of stretch it out there is a scene i wanted to talk about there's a bit uh right before melissa mccarthy's character and maya rudolph's character go to like investigate this place uh and and they're standing in the kitchen and at one point maya rudolph's character says hey can i can i have a banana and and like she's like no yeah she's like no you can't like just a a, a, a a small thing whatever and then i think she says something like you know why why do you want my name well i like him which was unnecessary i'm like you should just i can have banana no and then later when they're like sneaking up to this place in a very like scooby-doo shaggy and scooby tiptoeing manner like very deliberate maya rudolph like slowly gets out a banana and starts peeling it <laughs> and eating it and it's funny, like it's a funny, la you know, you mentioned it before, it was out of place then, now you're doing this this thing where you're supposed to be sneaky and you're eating a bit like a banana of all things, funny. But then Melissa McCarthy like looks at her and then they have a conversation about it. And I was like, no, you stepped on the gag. Like if anything, look at her and then kind of roll your eyes and then keep doing what you're doing. You know, like it, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, um, and you know, those are the kind of gags that were actually funny or that actually yeah. worked way more than any of the the real crass stuff right but whoever was like responsible for editing they just i don't know like they you should just cut it like keep it keep it tight you know like that's what we expected of comedy nowadays if you're gonna make a crass comedy uh, an r-rated comedy in america in 2018 i think you either have either need to have a real tight script with great jokes you need to have a real good cast or you need to have a really good world and this movie didn't have any of those <laughs> yeah it was lacking all three so yeah, I, I guess I guess that's uh, that's that's the happy time. Merch. So I will say that I do think that the premise is actually very good. Okay. But it was just executed poorly. So if you think of okay, let's have a hard R-rated Muppet neo noir film murder mystery that you know touches on themes of racism and bigotry. There's a lot there. I th I believe in that that premise, and someone else apparently did too. Yeah skip out all like the the super hard crass sexual humor that's not funny at all in this movie but there i think that there's a, a premise that could have worked and it's just very poor execution yeah i i a couple more things I, I wanted to mention about the the practical effects uh the main character uh phil phillips who is your your main detective the blue guy you've seen uh he has like two faces in the whole movie he talks like you know as a puppet would and then at the end they had another version of him where he kind of had a smile a little bit yeah smiling that they've they've cracked the case you know whatever um 
that's it. And I'm like, his eyes never move. Eyebrows never move. Like, you'd think for the main puppet, you'd have a few versions of him. You know, a surprised one or an angry one or whatever. No, it's the same puppet every freaking scene. And it's like... Man, like stop motion movies, change it up. They gotta, they gotta have emotion. You have to emote yeah, that. And they like, should have an array of. They didn't puppets. do that in this. Yeah, it was like they just had like they probably had two or three, hand, you know, versions of it, and that was it. And like that just felt clumsy. And the other thing I wanted to mention um, before we get to official recommendations, I want to talk about the studio that made this. This came from a production. They they ran a they ran a slate in front of this movie, and, and I'm hoping it's not quite like. Uh, the new reboot of The Mummy, where Universal ran this thing that was like Dark Universe. They ran in front of this. You probably don't remember this. There was a slate they ran in front of this. It was a big red logo. It says H-A in lowercase and an apostrophe. Ha. And under it says Henson Alternative. Oh. Here's the thing. Okay. Right? Here's my theory. In an effort to try to make puppets relevant and and, and, and make their art more of, a, more of a craft and bring it back into the limelight, uh, Jim Henson, or I should, Brian Henson and co., are working on, yeah, Henson Alternative, which is an alternative spin on puppeteering and what they do and using Muppets in a different way. And this is a very bombastic approach to that. This this was, I yeah. think this might be the first. Yeah, outside of like, you know, something like Sesame Street, which is now even on HBO. PBS doesn't even run Sesame Street anymore. Like, it's it's arguably a dying breed here. And this movie does not do that genre any favors. Yeah. But for Henson Alternative, I'm curious... What do you see coming around the corner for them? Just because I'll, I'll tell you what they should do and they won't. What they should make is like a YouTube series. Take it digital, make short films or something, or maybe like take a story like the Happy Time Murders and turn it into like a 16 part video series and put them out. Have people subscribe, run ad dollars on that. That's how you make this relevant again. I put see, it on Facebook. I like, see make something uh, uh, like um, Hot Fuzz, like some sort sure. of uh, like parody slash not really a parody just something that is adult because that's the thing like there's a spectrum between kids show and super crass adult comedy yeah um you can find a middle ground <laughs> you know you could yeah. do i mean even if you did like a muppet action movie like that could be really funny yeah i hate to say we should move this away from brian henson directing but like seriously move away from brian henson not that i don't like him seriously muppet christmas carol is one of my favorite favorite christmas movies ever muppet treasure island is fantastic everybody knows labyrinth that's all good stuff i'm not saying the guys lost it <laughs> but like let other directors try this there's directors out there who they were like hey we'll let you make a muppet movie about whatever you want there are directors that would do that totally yeah. that that would totally be a thing trey parker and matt stone made team america out of puppets okay yeah. and that was arguably much better than this film like let let other artists like give them the tools let them into that sandbox and say hey you can do whatever you want we made the happy time murders for god's sake and it was horrible <laughs> like you can do anything i bet other people would be interested in this i mean it like there's yeah. there's other artists out there who'd want to paint with that that set of paint so yeah yeah there's definitely potential there there's totally potential this one completely misses the mark and i'm hoping it's not like the mummy and that you completely kill hence an alternative before it is able to become anything I hope you didn't stake everything on this. And frankly, it seems like they might have. Yeah. So that's Henson Alternative. Andy, what did you think of the Happy Time Murders? Um, the, the premise is interesting, but overall, it's bad. It's really bad. It's poorly made. It's not funny. It's super cliche. There are some funny bits, but it's not, it's not really worth the price of admission. Yeah. I, I don't ever want to get up on any kind of public stage uh whether that be a podcast or or in person or anything and like recommend drug use but uh <laughs> if you're if you if you're an explorer uh and you're sitting at home and you're not planning on leaving the farm or anything but want to go on a trip maybe <laughs> at best maybe you'd enjoy this Sorry, i don't even maybe. have a recommendation for it uh otherwise no you're not gonna like it it's gonna it's it's not gonna be funny i i think at best the people will go see this movie it'll it'll show up on netflix or something and people will be curious that's where it'll get play people people who just want to know and and for henson alternative or whatever they're doing next netflix great platform yeah. check it out yeah that because if this came out on netflix i'd probably have a different feel i'd, I'd, yeah. I'd have a different purview yeah, so, yeah. it, it would have been bad but i could have watched it on the couch yep and you would have gotten to the end and been like well that was bad probably not as bad as those stupid uh, adam sandler movies let it go. Like, who cares? You know, I, yeah. I watched it at home. I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't have to do anything. I have to pay the price of admission. 
uh, worth it. So yeah, um, not a great movie. Hope for Henson Alternative. I mean it. Like yeah. I, I'll be interested to see what they do next. If it anything. could only go up. Yes, I agree. So that's the happy time murders. And I think that about wraps our show, believe it or not. I think so. I think next week, lots of I thinks. Next week, we're doing uh, two movies uh, per usual. One, uh, Dom Hall Gleason's in it. That's about all I know. It's called The Little Stranger. Right. Uh, I'm hoping you know more. It looks like a little bit of a horror movie uh, directed by Lenny Abrahamson, who did uh, the Oscar-winning Room, uh, starring, oh man. Now Brie like, Larson. Brie Larson. Yeah, you. and Jacob Tremblay. Um, yes. Uh, so this is follow-up uh, from that. Uh, that was a couple years ago. Don't really know what it's about. Domhnall Gleeson's in it. He's investigating some 18th century house. Looks creepy. I wouldn't be interested in in it if it wasn't Lenny Abrahamson. And it's funny. I don't know a lot about Lenny Ab- 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 Abrahamson, Abrahamson, whatever. And I didn't see uh, Room because I, I didn't. I haven't found a time in my life and I'm like, I just want to be sad for a while. Like mm. I, That hasn't happened to me yet. <laughs> Uh, but man, I, I, I dig on some Domhnall Gleeson. That guy takes cool projects and like, yeah. he, he seems to have a really, I don't know if he's got a good agent or what, but he seems to have a sharp eye for, for a good script. I, I almost saw Peter Rabbit exclusively because he played a goofy slapstick villain in that movie. And I was, I was intrigued. Um, I didn't, but this one I'm, I'm really interested in. And, and just like hereditary, I don't know a lot about it. And I love that. The less I know going in, the better it's supposed to be a mystery. It's supposed to be weird. I'm like, yep. Sign me up. Great. Uh, so that'll be good. Or Annihilation. Another movie that I didn't know a lot about going in. Uh, we're also going to see, speaking of movies people don't know a lot about, 2001, A Space right. Odyssey. Yes. Uh, the 50th you, anniversary screening. You found an epic screening. You were kind enough to get tickets for both of us. So thank you. I'm looking forward to that. At the Texas Theater, right? That's right. Not, not that fa- we... You know, if you're a fan, you probably shouldn't just show up. We don't want everybody coming. We'll be flooded. <laughs> They'll have to kick us out, but... Uh, yeah, that'll be good. I am not a 2001 fan, and Yet. you are. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, 2001, before we get into it next week, uh, I there's a lot I like about that movie. There's a lot I don't like about that movie. And the things I like, I really like. Like, that movie has some really cool stuff, man. For when it came out, there's some effects in that movie that are rad. Like, I remember the first time I saw it and seeing that pen float in space or, like, seeing a woman walk upside down. Like, little stuff like that, so cool. Like, yeah. really neat practical effects, really well put together. But at the end of the day, there's some stuff in 2001 <laughs> that I just don't get. So if you haven't seen the movie, do yourself a solid. Pick it up on DVD for like $8 or something. Or go all out Andy style and get like the epic Blu-ray 50th edition whatever. Right. There are a lot of anniversary screenings happening right now. I know there's uh, an IMAX screening. There's normal kind of uh, standard screenings yeah. as well. So it's, it's again, it's the 50th anniversary. So it's playing in a lot of places these days. Good to know. All right. Well, I think that about wraps our show. Um, if you'd like to be, I was about to just go right out. If you'd like to be involved in the show, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. Follow us on t- Twitter at offscriptreview. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at offscriptfilmreview. <laughs> for all of us at Offscript Film Review, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.